Welcome back to another episode of Peter's Proffer here in the courtroom of current events. And after a week off, we're back into the holiday season with an episode that is a topic we do some sort of post on every year, whether it's a blog post or an article or a podcast like this, and that's holiday road safety. We're going to bring a lot of statistics that show why it's more likely for something to happen on the roads during a holiday than any other time of the year and what makes a car accident or a drunk driving incident different during the holiday season versus just any other day of the year. So sit back, relax, enjoy the episode, and also keep a lookout for our East West Shrine Game ticket giveaway. We're going to be posting on social media about it. We're going to be sending out a newsletter. If you want to get free tickets to the East West Shrine game, which is held at Tropicana Field in January, all you have to do is post on our Facebook page or send me an email. And that ticket is going to include our big tailgate party before the game, which is going to include some tailgate games, uh, catered food, as well as uh, DJ playing music and things like that. So it's going to be a fun time. And it also, of course, includes entry into the game. We're taking care of everything. We just want to put it out there for everybody that follows us on Facebook, everybody that listens to the podcast. We're doing this giveaway and it's going to be a fun event. So make sure you just post on at uh, Tragos Law is our Facebook page or Peter's Proffer has its own Facebook page or you can just send me an email, petertragos at greeklaw.com. Let me know how many tickets you want and we'll get you hooked up. So today we're talking about road safety during the holidays. So first, let's talk about, we're going to focus on car accidents first, and then we're going to focus on drunk driving second. That's kind of the way we're going to go through the podcast. So when talking about car accidents, uh, what, what makes it different if a car accident happens over the holidays? And is it a safer time to drive or a less safe time to drive? Well, you know, initially when I started doing research for this topic, I figured that between Christmas and New Year's be the absolute worst time of year to drive. So I did some research and pursuant to the National Safety Council and the National Highway Safety uh, NHTSA, uh, Transportation uh, Administration, they say the two safest holidays that you can drive are Christmas and New Year's. Um, And that's based on what? Based on their statistics for accidents that occur during the three-day period uh, surrounding Christmas and the three-day period surrounding New Year's. Actually, uh, NHTSA does uh, a holiday. Um, actually, they track all car accidents and how car accidents are caused and where they happen. And it indicates that of all the holidays, uh, Christmas is your safest holiday to drive. And surprisingly, uh, uh, New Year's has become number two. Is it that particular one day or is it the holiday period? Because the stats I got from the uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Council say 414 people died in traffic-related accidents during the Christmas holidays. Yeah, it's they, they time it the three days, meaning the day before Christmas, the day of Christmas, and the day after, and then the day before, meaning New Year's Eve, New Year's, and then the first. So they're not talking Second. all the Christmas holidays, just talking three day, a three-day yeah, period. Yeah, holiday periods. Because I'll, the numbers I ran were uh, 343 people had died uh, over those three-day period for Christmas uh, a decade ago and this will make sense in a minute, and 373 people died during the New Year holiday. And now that number is 245 and 231 since... So it's uh, actually going down, is yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, it's going down. But they say it was the safest holiday? Because safest holiday. Because they also say that the most dangerous holiday for pedestrians is New Year's. Sure, and I, I, I buy that a lot more. I think 
you know, we talked a little bit before the podcast, Pete and I did about how he was saying the same thing, that that's the safest. Well, you just said safest time to drive. So before we even dive in any further, I want to say that all statistics say that all these holidays are actually less safe than your average day that you're driving. So when you say safest time to drive, you mean of the holidays. That's right. And I'll be clear about that. It's the it's the safest holiday to drive in. The most dangerous, I'll give you, I'll just flip the script, is Fourth uh, of July. Right. But just generally speaking, all the research shows, either at least by the United States Department of Transportation, that traffic accidents and drunk driving are all elevated during holiday times, especially between the months of Thanksgiving. I'm sorry, between the holidays of Thanksgiving to New Year's. So the end of November to the beginning of January is one of those times where it is a lot less safe to drive for a number of reasons. One of those reasons being that um, studies showed in 2016, 103 million people traveled out of town between December 23rd to January 3rd. So just those like 14 days, basically, or however many days that is, over 100 million people are traveling for those holidays just in the United States alone. Well, you know, I know we're, we're, uh, I think we're splitting hairs about what is safe, considering how many people die on those holidays. But I just just said that holidays are less safe than like an average Monday. But Pete's just comparing holiday to holiday. Well, if you just look at the month of December, let's say about how many people die in December, 41% of fatalities in December happen on New Year's Day. Sure, right. I I would agree with you. I mean, I think, and again, you're not necessarily just talking car accidents, right? Right. You're talking pedestrian accidents as well and other accidents that cause All fatalities. Right. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of getting getting off the road safety topic. But when we're just talking about car accidents, um, it's, it's an uptick in the holiday season because I think, number one, so many people are traveling. Number two, there are so many parties and so much alcohol flowing. And number three... When you're traveling a lot, sometimes you don't know the roads of another town or you don't know, you know, the rules or laws or, you know, red light turning and things like that. Um, You know, all of that can be different when you're traveling for the holidays. So in, in focusing on car accidents, what makes a car accident different during the holiday season versus a regular car accident in where you're living? So let's say you're traveling, meeting family. What can make that car accident different than if you're doing it at your own house. Well, the, the truth of the matter is there's a lot of variables that occur when you're traveling because you're out of town. You don't have the access to the same, uh, you know, your, the garage for your car. You don't have access to, like you said, the roads that you're acquainted with. If there's a car accident, you're, you're in, a, in a jurisdiction that's foreign to you, so you may not necessarily know exactly what to do. Do they have, does your personal injury protection apply? I don't know. Are you in Florida? Are you outside of Florida? What about the person that very well may have hit you? Are they traveling here on vacation? Do they have the right insurance? Do they have any insurance at all? So so generally speaking, just, just to start to differentiate a little bit, what what do you do when you get in a car accident generally? Just just a real, I mean, this is all over our website. We've done podcasts on it in the past, but just a general breakdown, Pete, quick of what do you do when you get in a car accident right. here I, on a normal day? I stop cussing, and once that's done, uh, what you're supposed to do is call 911. Uh, by law, you have to report any traffic accidents, especially if those accidents occur on public streets. So you call 911, you get medical attention if you're injured. That's right. first and foremost, most important. If you're able to, you take pictures, you see who saw the accident, witness statements, things like that. 
But most importantly, you get your medical treatment. Then you call a lawyer to handle all the insurance stuff on the back end. The lawyer handles who has what insurance, what insurance companies are going to pay for what, reporting the thing properly, doing recorded statements, things like that. So you're, you get your medical um, care handled first, and then you get your legal, legal care handled second when you have a normal car accident. And, so, your, and your vehicle through the property damage. Sure. And, and that's how you deal with a normal car accident. But throwing the wrench in of how does that change... If you're in another state, do you still call your lawyer that you have in your home state? How does that work? What I would do is I would call the lawyer in my home state. And then once we're on the phone with you, what will happen is if it's a jurisdiction that uh, requires an additional attorney or a different type of attorney, your lawyer locally will be able to uh, get you in contact with the right people. And and your lawyer locally can handle things pre-suit for you. They can handle communication between you and a lawyer in that state. They just make it easier for you. If you have a lawyer you're comfortable with already, you can still call them even if you're on vacation for the holiday and you get in a car accident. Yeah, and the reality is most reputable lawyers are going to have a network of other similarly situated professionals in other jurisdictions. Okay, so say you're you're either out on holiday or somebody's visiting you and you're not driving your car. How does that change things? If you're driving your uncle's car up in Maryland and you get in a car accident. Well, that's a great question. You may then not only have issues with your own insurance company because you're driving, you're reliable, you may now have tangled your family member's insurance company because depending on the jurisdiction will dictate whose insurance company pays for what in what order. So this is another thing we did a podcast on. If you let someone drive your car, you are also liable for the injuries they cause in your car and vice versa is true. If you're driving someone else's car, you can also be liable or they can be liable for the injuries that you cause. All right, what about rental vehicles? How does that throw a wrench into car accidents? Um, Rental vehicles have two kinds of insurance requirements. You either have to have insurance that covers their vehicle, or you have to buy that insurance from them. Now, what I said was insurance that covers their vehicle. Uh, It doesn't cover your injuries. It doesn't cover the injuries of the person, uh, of the other person, the other car, regardless of who is at fault just the car. So unless you've got your own personal injury protection, unless you've got your own uninsured motorist coverage, you're not going to get that from what, your rental what, car coverage. What about all these waivers you sign at the uh, rental car company about all the, you know, do you want our insurance? Do you want to waive? I mean, they don't ask for my insurance. They ask me if I want to waive. Right. And from their perspective, the only thing they're covering is their car. So when you sign the waiver, what you're saying is that you don't want their insurance, your insurance, or for example, if you have American Express. Or you personally. Or you personally are going to be responsible for whatever damages or injuries you cause. Aren't there times when the credit card, actually that you might use a credit card, that that credit card as a benefit has insurance for the rental car if you use the credit card. Or USAA policies have that a lot. Absolutely. Like For example, I used American Express because I have an American Express card. And that American Express card, if you use it, when you go for to rent a car, they actually will provide you with that rental car coverage. Again, that coverage is covering the car. It doesn't cover the injuries. Right. So, and that's something that throws a wrench into car accidents and, and a lot of times can make it more stressful that you don't know whether it's going to be your cu- your insurance, the rental car insurance through USAA or Amex or whatever. And if the, if the state that you're in has a minimum BI state or if they're a PIP state and how that insurance works... A lot of that can be just taken care of by your attorney, but it can make things more difficult and throw a wrench in it, especially when you're on holiday and you're uncomfortable and you don't know what to do. But it's still really important that you make sure, even though you're not in your hometown or home state, you still need to seek that same medical um, uh, treatment because if you're injured, waiting can have severely negative effects 
on your ability to recover and to actually solve those injuries in the future because if you wait to treat sometimes those injuries can get a lot worse well, that's what and realize you're traveling so what you're now doing is you're adding those extra stressors on your body and god forbid there's something you know really wrong that requires immediate attention you could really be in a bad spot correct so you know and and all the statistics show that car accidents and traffic in the roads are increased on all holidays. There's like 45 million people traveling on on Thanksgiving or around Thanksgiving, 100 million traveling, like we said already, at the end of December. So it's an extra 150 million people traveling around the country and all that extra driving and people driving where they're not knowing where they're going or how the rules of the road are necessarily in that town or that city or that state. But when you add in the next element of what we're gonna be talking about, the increases make a lot more sense. So when you talk about drunk driving or how alcohol affects these fatalities and affects the the safety or the lack thereof on the road during holiday season, talk a little bit about some of the statistics you found with drunk driving and DUIs during the holiday season. Well, 40% of all the fatalities in Christmas and New Year's are alcohol related. So you, you think about that, alcohol related 40%. That group can get arrested for man, DUI manslaughter that we've covered in another podcast. That group can get arrested for drunk driving. That group has liability because even though they may not get arrested, lawsuits come out of that. And if you've been drinking and driving and someone gets hurt, that's a factor they take into consideration as to your negligence in that driving situation. And it actually adds punitive damages onto a car accident case if you have alcohol or drugs in your system when you cause that accident. So it can be a huge enhancement in any car accident case. And remember, what's really scary about punitive damages is insurance does not cover verdicts for punitive damages. You are liable for those personally, and you cannot discharge a punitive damage award in bankruptcy. Right. So you so you have a billion-dollar insurance policy, but 500000 of it's punitive. It doesn't matter that you have a billion-dollar insurance policy. You still have to pay that 100000 500000 yourself. Another issue why people should be careful is most of those fatal crashes with alcohol are between are drivers between the age of 21 and 24. Right, so it's young people. Right. Um, and, and one of the things that's really crazy about some of the statistics is in 2016, 718 people lost their lives to drunk driving just in the month of December alone. In one year, 700 people. And the five-year average for drunk driving fatalities just the week of Christmas to New Year's is 300 per year over the last five years. So 300 people die every year, basically, in that one-week period, which is why, you know, I know we're saying it might be one of the safer holidays or it's less than it used to be, but it's still one of the least safe times to drive out of any time in the entire year if you're going to just take a one-week period. And it's, it's also one of those things you're kind of catch-22. Fine, take an Uber. That doesn't really change your statistical probability either because you're still on the road. You're still on the road during those hours where other people that are partying are on the road. Right, I mean, I think it changes your statistical uh, ability to remain safe because there's one less drunk driver on the road since you're in the backseat as opposed to driving. But there are still obviously going to be other drunk drivers on the road. Um, Some other interesting statistics are uh, 16% of adults say they drink more than usual on holidays. 51% 51% of drunk drivers say they drink more alcohol on, on holidays. 22% of adults say they attend Christmas or holiday parties and they feel pressured to drink. 50% of people say alcohol plays a role in their family gatherings. 
50% of adults say either they went to work hungover after a holiday party or know someone that did. So it's, I mean, alcohol is definitely flowing through all the holiday parties, all the family gatherings. There's nothing really you can do to avoid it. There are going to be drunk drivers on the road in that seven-day period. I guess the only thing you can do to help is not be one of those drunk drivers on the road. Stay home. So, um, Dad, what what are some of the things that law enforcement does to try to either prevent or crack down on drunk driving? Since we know these stats and these stats are reported, and it's probably not a surprise to a lot of our podcast listeners, law enforcement knows about this as well. So what do they do to try to crack down on that? Well, one of the big things they do, one of the things that most drivers know about is DUI checkpoints. Now, DUI checkpoints, for instance... uh, a couple of years ago, the stat was, and it's probably higher now, there were almost 2,000 arrests just in Pinellas County from DUI checkpoints. And these are not arrests just for DUI, but they catch people with no valid driver's license, people driving without insurance, all sorts of issues that occur when you're driving and you shouldn't be. But the basis, the reason for these checkpoints are to catch drunk drivers. And... Uh, the reason that they're allowed, some people say, well, does the Constitution really allow these things? Does the Fourth Amendment really allow an unreasonable search and seizure for them just to randomly stop you? But there are rules now. A DUI checkpoint can only happen at a place where people believe, or the law enforcement believes statistically, there are a lot of DUIs. For instance, uh, East Bay and Belcher. We all know where that is. We all know that that's an area that is high in traffic and potentially high in DUIs. So they pick a location where they have some statistical backup. Next, they have to say, okay, we're going to stop every third car, or we're only going to stop 20 cars, but there has to be some reasonable limitation on the stops that they make. And then, once they have the reasonable limitation, there has to be some criteria. All right, uh, does this person, if they smell of alcohol, of alcohol on the breath, do we ask them to get out? A lot of clients ask us, do I have to talk to the police at a DUI checkpoint? Well, you don't ever have to talk to law enforcement. You have a right to remain silent. Uh, I read uh, in the uh, New York Times, somebody's rather inventive, and I've never uh, had a case like this, but police pulled them over at a uh, checkpoint. They didn't roll their window down so they couldn't smell alcohol in their breath. They had already written on a piece of paper, and they put it up on the window, I wish to speak to my lawyer. So I wonder, you know, you wonder, will that, would that work? I don't know. I've never had the situation, but that's kind of interesting. It was inventive. Between you and me, it may be inventive, but the part that's really interesting to me for DUI checkpoints is most people, I don't know if they know this or not, DUI checkpoints are announced. They tell you that they're going to be out. They actually publicize it. Uh, In Pinellas County, I mean, the sheriff will get up and say, you know, we're, we're cracking down on DUIs this weekend. And they'll let you know that these people are out there. And it's really not surprising. I mean, it used to happen a lot in Tallahassee, too, which every day was a holiday there, basically. And every every spot around campus was a known drunk driving spot. So it wasn't exactly a far cry for them to set up a DUI checkpoint. But in the, the statistics also say that one in eight licensed drivers who consume alcohol say that they've driven when they thought they were at or above .08 during last year's holiday season from Thanksgiving to New Year's. So one in eight drivers admits that they probably drank too much and still drove during that holiday season. So these statistics, nobody's going to argue with a a DUI checkpoint on New Year's Eve at two o'clock in the morning on a main road where there's traffic. You you say that, no one's going to argue with it. But there are 12 states that 
ban DUI checkpoints because they feel they're unconstitutional. But what I'm saying is if a state allows it, good luck arguing that on New Year's Eve at a main road All where right. there's that, that that's not a valid spot for a DUI checkpoint. Obviously, if it's banned in your state, you're going to have a good argument well, they can't do it. Supreme but. Court has said it's constitutional under the Fourth Amendment to have the DUI checkpoints for exactly the reasons you're talking about, and that is the public safety concern here is something that we're trying to enforce in order to keep the streets from, you know, for the it's fatalities because, we've talked about. Exactly. It's because they should be able to set up DUI checkpoints during the seven-day period of the year where 300 people die every year in a seven-day period. And and a large majority of them have to do with alcohol relate, alcohol related to them. So, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think that, that you know, in seven days that many people die. I mean, it's it's really sad, but it's not surprising that I'll, I'll ask you this question. So in the five weeks from Thanksgiving to New Year's Day, basically, what percentage of the distilled spirits industry profits come during that five-week period? Oh, I bet you it's huge because everybody gives alcohol as presents. So what, what would you say? What percentage? I'll bet 60%. I'll give it oh, 70. No way. 25%. And that's, yeah, I mean, you guys tried to try to get my angle, but that's still a ton. 25% in a five-week period when there's 50 oh, the weeks. weeks yeah. That's what I'm saying. I yeah. mean, it's 52 weeks or whatever in the year, and 25% is just during that period of time. You also have to realize that you're not taking into account anniversaries, Super Bowls, you know, college football playoffs, March Madness. I mean, I'm sure a lot of alcohol is consumed and, and sold during that period of time, too. But I mean, th- these are things that are not necessarily alcohol-related events, but um, it's so much alcohol is consumed and and bought and, like you're saying, given as gifts and is such a big part of the holiday season. It is kind of surprising to me that 25% of their profits are made during then. So when you're talking about somebody that um, knows alcohol is going to be involved in a party, what are some things you can you can tell them to prevent a alcohol related death or a DUI or things like that. And I'm not, I'm talking about before you get pulled over for DUI, before you decide to get in the car and drive after drinking too much, what kind of plan can you put into place? It's funny. A friend of mine was talking to me about this over the weekend when we were at a party and his holiday party was very specific. If you show up and you drove, you are not allowed to drink. If you Ubered, then you're fine. Uh, so that's his number one rule. Number two rule is if by chance you do drink and you did bring your car, they're going to take your keys from you. Right. And I, I mean, I think, you know, the obvious is a designated driver or plan on Ubering or planning on sleeping wherever it is that you're going to the party. If it's a family party, just plan on staying over there and things like that. The The main point and the main advice you can give somebody is have a plan. You know, didn't you do a podcast on the responsibility of the owner of a residence. Yeah, open house party. Yeah. yeah, if you have an open house party. and Because people should be, you know, realize that if they're having a party, they may have some liability if they let that person leave and drive. Right. I mean, from any angle, whether you're going to a party, whether you're hosting a party, whether you're leaving a party, you should have a plan in place as to not have to drive drunk. There's no excuse anymore. You don't have to wave down a taxi in a small town. You know, you don't have to, you know, set anything up. It's on your phone. It's a text. Somebody I'm sure would help you and even pay for the Uber if you needed it. It's just, it's too easy to not drink and drive these days to not have a plan. And I promise you, it is cheaper to Uber home and then wake up the next morning and Uber back to get your car than it is to get the DUI. 100%. So the last part of the podcast, let's say somebody does make the bad decision and they're met with the unfortunate reality of at 3 a.m. they get pulled over, they get stopped at a DUI checkpoint, whatever it may be. What do they do at that point? 
Well, the first thing is they don't have to say anything. We, we covered that. Secondly, you do not have to take a field sobriety test. You know, the touch your nose, walk the line. They don't have to do that. Um, the third thing is they're going to be giving an option, and this is their decision about whether or not to take a breathalyzer or some type of chemical test. Under Florida law, when they get a driver's license, they're saying, I will take that chemical test. And they have to realize if they don't take it, that's a misdemeanor offense just in itself. Yeah, Florida calls it implied consent. Informed consent. Informed consent. You're yeah. right. So, so yeah. So, you sign when you sign the back of your driver's license, you basically say you're going to take the breath test um, or some kind of chemical testing like my dad's talking about. So, uh, lawyers can't advise you to refuse to blow, okay? But when it comes to the interaction with law enforcement, it's always a good thing. It's always a good idea to be respectful, cordial, do not be disrespectful to them. Don't argue with them. Don't, you know, yell at them. All that works against you, even if you're as sober as you can be. Um, it just makes things worse for you. Don't say anything to them. Don't answer any of their questions. You know, tell them you want to talk to a lawyer. There's nothing you're really going to do to help yourself in that situation. Besides the fact of actually calling a lawyer and seeing what you should do and seeing if you can get advice on how to handle the situation you just put yourself in. Um, and then always remember, jail calls are always recorded. So whoever you do call, if you do go to jail, they're recorded. They will listen to those later. So when we're talking about holiday road safety, what are some going away tips that you can give people in order to avoid the accidents, the DUIs, the DUI checkpoints, things like that? Uh, some advice would be stay off the, the big main roads. I mean, US 19 here in Pinellas County is dangerous on any given Tuesday afternoon, let alone during the holidays. So try to avoid those main roads. If you can avoid driving, I know this is hard, when it's dark, try to do that simply because, you know, you just add one more layer of complication when the lights are off. Um, be cognizant of when you need to be places. Everybody's rushing around. Everybody's distracted. Everybody is, you know, got presents and parties and all kinds of things on their minds. So just give people some space and be courteous. I, you don't know how many accidents occur when people are trying to you know, force themselves into, a, uh, you know, into another lane because they've got some road rage. Just be as calm as you can. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Give them some leeway. And just you know, keep your mind on the road. Also be cognizant that law enforcement works double shifts during the holidays. So there'll be a lot of law enforcement out there. You'll be driving around. You'll see a lot of blue lights. You'll see a lot of red lights. You'll see a lot of traffic slowing down for that. Don't forget to you know, pull over. Uh, you know, the, the lane, not supposed to drive on the lane that's right next to those blue lights. So just be careful and avoid the problems. And the last two I would throw out are make sure you have a full tank before you go anywhere so you're not adding any stops or any stress or any time to your drives by having to stop and find a gas station where you're somewhere you might not know. And then try to carpool and get as many people in one car so there are less cars on the road, less people parking at whatever party you're going to, and just less congestion that we have to deal with on the holidays. So those are our thoughts. Hopefully everybody has a safe and sound holiday. We wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we'll be back with you next time. <music>